One and two and three and four. There's murder and intrigue, but the kids of Riverdale are gonna be just fine, just fine, just just fine. There's Jughead and Betty, and Dad's a serial killer serving some jail time, jail time, jail jail time. We got milkshakes at Pops. And mimosas at Veronica's Yeah, the kids of Riverdale are gonna solve some crime Some crime, some, some crime Cause the kids of Riverdale are gonna still be fine Maybe damaged, damn, damn, damaged Sit right down, you're gonna have a real good time With Team Cheryl Who's Archie? Welcome to another episode of Milkshakes and Mimosas. The only, oh wait, there's a bajillion Archie podcasts, but it's fine. They're not covering movies like Buffy the Vampire Slayer from 1992. We're not talking about that TV show that's really popular and has lots of fans and everyone likes it and there's like dedicated podcasts for it. No, we're talking about the film. And why are we talking about the film? Well, because Mr. Luke Perry is in it. R.I.P. Luke Perry. He recently passed away. But he was Archie's dad on Riverdale. And, uh, you know, I thought now is a good time to uh, just maybe celebrate some of his work and talk about how uh, how great he was as Pike, who is not at all a proto-Spike. Although, not at, all. not at all, but it seems like it. Hey, who said not at all? Oh, that's our special guest. Special guest is in. She's, she's on a lot of episodes, but it's Sophie. Hello, Sophie. Hello. It's so nice to be back on a Buffy-centric episode. I am very, very pleased to uh, be the special guest this time. Yeah, no, it's going to be great. And it's just, it's just us chatting. Just us chatting today. You know, basically, I'm just being interviewed about Buffy. Basically. I'm super pumped to be it's here. It's basically a Buffy the interview slayer. Uh, so you'll see how do how well you do. Did she ever? Has there ever been a point in Buffy's history where she was in like a job interview or anything and she just slayed it? And then she's definitely had job interviews. Okay. I feel like the ones I can remember didn't go that great. Okay, okay, that's fair. But you know, sad but fair. Well, Buffy gets a little frazzled sometimes. TV show Buffy just has a tendency to get a little frazzled sometimes. That's fair. That's fair. What do you think of movie Buffy? How how many times have you seen this movie? What's your opinion of this movie kind of overall? And how does it relate to your fandom of Buffy? Because I know you're a huge Buffy fan, so. Yes. Um, okay, so I am a huge Buffy fan. The movie is definitely a part of my appreciation of the show, but it is not a property that I've, I am as familiar with. So uh, the TV show Buffy, I've seen every episode countless times. Um, I know all the words to the musical. I listen to Buffy podcasts. I have the Buffy board game. I'm a big fan. Um, the movie, I think this was probably only my third time seeing it. I did not see the movie until after I had already been watching the show. So I actually know at least one person who saw the Buffy movie around the time it came out um, and hates the show because TV or movie Buffy is, is his Buffy, um, which is fine. It's wrong, but it's fine. Um, I mean, you can love so, both. I mean, you can, yes, you can, you can love both. both, but if you love 
movie Buffy at the exclusion of TV Buffy, then we have a problem. Yeah, no, that's a, that's um, a problem. That's, that's where the problem is. So, so yeah, I appreciate this movie. Um, I was actually just talking to a friend right before I got on to record the podcast and he's never seen the movie and did not know there was a movie. So I told him to go watch it. I gave him that assignment for tonight. He's going to go watch it. But um, I described it to him as kind of like a knockoff clueless with vampires, which is really sort of what this feels like more than it feels like it's related to, um, to Buffy the show, even though I know this is the predecessor to the, the show that I love. That's fair. That's fair. I'll, I'll be honest. I like Buffy the TV show. I like it. I can't ever see myself going through and watching all of Buffy the TV show without somebody else making me watch all of it because it's a lot. It's a lot of TV. It's a lot of TV. Look, if we were roommates and you like put a gun to my head every night and was like, "Hey, we're watching Buffy," but the problem is you live too far away. So if I move all the way to Canada, do I still have to hold a gun to your head? Also, can you have guns in Canada, or are they just full of syrup? Uh, you can. They're hunting rifles, but you know, whatevs. They're not great. That feels really cumbersome and kind of heavy. We'll yeah. discuss logistics. We'll, we'll later. discuss logistics later. But I have seen the movie many, many times. In fact, I own the movie. Uh, it was It's something that's in my collection, so I had to frantically pop in the DVD. And every time I watch it, I am further amazed by this movie's absolutely insane cast. Uh, honestly, like, it may be one of the best cast movies of the 90s. Like, e- e- even if you don't like the movie, I don't know how you would be able to be like, oh, this movie has Donald Sutherland, Paul Rubens, Rutger Hauer, Luke Barry, Hilary Swank, David Arquette, fucking Jeff. A very, very young Ben Affleck cameo. Yeah, Ben Affleck. You've got Steven Root doing some silly Steven Root stuff. Like, it's insane. It's it's such a crazy, crazy cast. And then I, I mentioned Hilary Swank, right? Because, like, oh, my you God. Hillary Million Swank. Dollar Baby playing, like, knockoff. Share. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of amazing, and it is just kind of like a it's it's a great movie to just kind of like throw on if it's like a great bad day movie, if you're just kind of miserable at the world and just want to scream. But you can watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer slay some vampires, mm-hmm. and I I was impressed by how so the poster image of it makes it look like it's like a much more like here's a conventional like oh we're sexy cheerleaders like that's what the poster image kind of looks like right but then if you watch the movie they have like a whole like is it like a onesie tight like they got like tights and stuff on so it appears to be there is some combination because they aren't all wearing the same thing some of the cheerleaders don't have any of the like extra layer underneath some looks like just have a leotard and some have the leotard and matching leggings okay. under the, and there, I didn't notice this until this viewing, but their cheerleader skirts are shorts. They're not skirts. Oh, Oh wow. See, there's so much, I don't know. Like I think, and I think the fact that this is a female director. So Fran Rubel Kuzoy, cause he, I may be saying that wrong. My apologies. Uh, but that is, uh, kind of something that you kind of get more awareness from like hey this is a movie about teenagers and like they can be like cool teenagers who have like romance and stuff but like it's not like a skeezy like oh look at these cheerleaders but she butt slays this vampire Mm -hmm. you know so like i thought that was kind of uh kind of refreshing 
it is written by Joss Whedon. It does it feel like the same Whedon who wrote the show? Like, do you see prototypes of any characters in the in this movie? Um. I mean, a little bit, just the sort of expected ones. Like, you you sort of talked about that Pike. I think Pike has, like, some overlap with Spike, um, particularly in some of his, like, dialogue. He's not, um, he's not angry enough. Because, like, I mean, like, maybe later Spike. But, like, for a while, wasn't Spike right. just, like, a giant angry machine? Like, rrr, rrr, Well, rrr. yeah, because in the beginning, so spoiler alert, if you haven't broody, seen the, the show... Um, Buffy, but in the beginning, Spike is a vampire, and he like comes in as like a main villain. And intentionally, he was not. They had not planned for his character to be a recurring character, but they loved um, James Marsters so much that they wrote uh, Spike this much larger plot arc. And so he eventually sort of like hangs out with the Scoobies more, and eventually gets his soul back. And I think so. That's. He really reminds me of like angsty, uh, kind of like whiny Spike um, when he's like hang- when he's kind of like uh, made less dangerous, and so he's hanging out with the Scoobies and he's kind of like pouty about it. Right, right. I didn't realize how big of a gap there was between this movie to the show. There's like five years in between. Yeah, it's pretty significant. Yeah, so um, I'm uh, I'm surprised. Have you seen this unaired pilot? Yes, I have. Is it good? Is it good? What's it like? Um, It's super similar to the original pilot. Oh, okay. Um, That's not as exciting. One of the main things that's most exciting, so another prototype that I see that maybe wouldn't be as noticeable if you're not a big Buffy fan is um, the basketball coach definitely sort of gets uh, mushed in with Steven Root's character. So in the original run of Buffy in the first season, the principal at Sunnydale High School is named Principal Flutie. And he's this kind of, like, um, he, like, wants to be this, like, very, like, cool principal who all the students want to be buddies with and whatever. And he also wants to be, like, very understanding. And he also wants to be a disciplinarian. And he sort of is a very weird amalgamation of all those things. Um, he doesn't last very long because he gets eaten by students who have been possessed by the spirits of hyenas in the first season. Um, <laughs> what? That is the most, that is the, okay. You know what? Yeah. Sure. One of which is Xander. So. Wow. So just, he has a murder on his conscience. Yeah. That kind of explains um, why he sucks so much. <laughs> um, so that's another, another clear prototype, but in the unaired pilot, um, one of my very, very favorite uh, and much, to my opinion, underappreciated character actors, Stephen Topolowski, plays Principal Flutie in the Honored Pilot, oh, um, but didn't play him in the run of the show. Uh, okay, see, now, now, had you told me that there was an entire, like, I could just watch Stephen Topolowski, like, every, I know. I'm sorry, I would have been I know. I'm sorry, I would have been there. I think that's actually, like, kind of great, too, because, like, I think Stephen Root and Stephen Topolowski aside from having the same first name, they can probably like play very, very similar kind of Mm -hmm. roles uh, together. Do you see any uh, kind of like similarities between like Merrick and Giles at all? So Merrick is played by Donald Sutherland. Right. They, they have a very, like there's like the, um, 
I think their relation, I guess, like, because it's a movie, they have to kind of, like, speed their relationship along a lot longer than Giles and Buffy. Because even with the little bit of Buffy I've seen, like, it's kind of like a very gradual buildup and they kind of, like, have a big good thing. But, like, there's still a lot of stuff where you feel like that Merrick, like, legitimately is like, oh, man, like, this girl's got a lot of spunk. I like like her spunkiness. Yeah. I think we sort of get to... There again, there are definitely echoes like in her uh, initial interactions with Merrick. That's a lot of what the initial like first episode or two is like, where Buffy is sort of like, "Who is this weird old guy in tweed, and why is he talking to me?" Right. Um, and then yeah, sort of the end point of her relationship with Merrick has like echoes in the show. Um, but there are so many. When we talk about the mythos of Buffy, there are so many huge differences between the show and the movie. One of which is that Merrick's character. Uh, has been the person who teaches every single Slayer. And he's basically like an immortal person whose duty it is to, um, to, to kind of guide the Slayer and teach the Slayer, which I, I don't know that I like that idea better, but it certainly adds a really interesting element. So in the show, um, Giles is Buffy's watcher. Right. He's part of the Watcher's Council, who is a mostly male-run organization in the U.K., that sort of trains people um, to guide and teach um, slayers. But the people, the body that is making decisions for what the watchers have to do is sort of like further away and distant and not emotionally connected to the slayers. And that really comes in and causes a lot of tension in Buffy, especially earlier on in the show. Um, And so it's, it's a really interesting dynamic to take that out of it and have Merrick be this one person who has to live with, like the idea that his duty is to continually teach and mold and bond with these young women only for them to die is, is sort of compelling. And I think they don't, the movie does not give them enough time to sort of look at what that would do to him. Right. Yeah. Um, And it, and it it adds a really different dimension than what's happening in the show where Giles um, does some stuff to Buffy and or doesn't help Buffy in certain situations because the Watchers Council have told him not to and that causes tension between him and the Watchers and her and the Watchers and she and Giles. It's interesting when all of that tension is put into one person and he's sort of the one who's grappling with what is the best thing to do at any given time. Right, right. No, that, that's uh, that's very interesting. And there is this whole like reincarnation thing with like Merrick, which is, which is kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, Lothos is like supposed to be like who's played by Rucker Hauer is just who's just like a great villain role. He is supposed to be like a a real vampire, right? Like he he old. He's yeah, old. like very very old, because... and just for millennia has been killing slayers who also seem to be because it also seems like the slayers are just reincarnated. Like we see a flashback, and it's still Christy Swanson playing the Slayer just with a different wig on. Well, I mean, the wig makes the entire... It's an entirely different character, Sophie. The wig... I mean, you get reincarnated each time with a new wig, so, like, you might as well just be an entirely different person. But she's having... But she's also having dreams, whereas with the Slayers, it's a different... Like, the rough, Buffy interacts with the spirit of the first Slayer a couple times during the show, but they are, like, distinctly different people. Whereas in this, it feels like it's more of a... There's more lineage there where where in the movie Buffy is having dreams about 
the lives of the Slayers before her and how they died. Right, right. I'm really surprised they didn't have Christy Swanson. Did Christy Swanson never once, like, appear as, like, an old, like, Slayer in uh, Buffy? Not that I know oh, of. I think that would have been, Because well, like, you don't cool... have old Slayers. Like, a Slayer gets called when the one before her dies. Oh, okay, okay. So, like, there aren't older Slayers because they're dead. Oh. The only time that there is more than one Slayer alive is when Buffy dies very briefly at the end of season one so another slayer gets called right right as... and then there are two slayers but otherwise there's always just one who's alive at any given time fair which also seems like a flawed plan because the world is a big place it does there there definitely isn't the again a big theme of the buffy the vampire slayer show is that like it's like some old ass old whitey patriarchy who's like fucking around with this shit right and like that's kind of absent here because like again like don donald sutherland is like he's not he's not commanding her he's just saying like look you already have these abilities which which i think was a very smart thing that they did to kind of like speed up again the process like where he like throws that knife and she like catches it and it's like oh no like you already have all of these abilities within you and it's just helping you like learn how to use them and like it Mm -hmm. and it's like it's never like ah yes i the man am superior and blah 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 it's like no she's always way more powerful than him even from their first meeting which i think is is nice um what did you think of Paul Rubin's character, uh, the uh, vampire who takes forever to die and is uh, just ridiculous and hilarious? And... Um, I mean, I feel like whether or not you like this movie is probably hinged on how you feel about his character, That's right? Because I feel like that character, and, and more than that character, just like his performance, is if that feels over the top to you, this movie's not going to work. I think it's... Um, delightful and hilarious and i i remember the first time i saw this movie the two lasting memories i have of the first time watching it i was probably like i don't know 15 or 16 i remembered being obsessed with pike um (laughs) i had blocked out his soul patch we'll talk about that later um and and i remembered how funny my sister and i thought paul rubens extended extended death scene was um, it's especially funny. So if you're if you've watched the Buffy show and you've never seen the movie, um, in the show when vampires get staked, they turn into a cloud of ash. And in the beginning of the show, the CGI is not very good. Yeah. Um, but it gets pretty impressive, and it gets to the point where like they get staked and they become a cloud of ash around the bones, and then the bones turn to ash. Um, in this show, they just like didn't, or in this movie, they don't have the budget for that. So vampires either just like fall out of frame. Or they do what Paul Rubens does, which is just, like, make a lot of noise and, like, awkwardly shuffle down the stairs so that you can't see him and then kind of, like, tip over. Um, But I love it. I mean, it's just, again, it just, to me, feels so indicative about all the parts of this movie that are very different than the show but really work. Yeah, Um, yeah. I I think one of my favorite scenes involving him is, like, near the end of the movie when he's, like, fighting off uh, Buffy and he's like, we're immortal, Buffy. We can do anything. And then she's like, oh, yeah? Clap. <laughs> and like, because, because he's missing an arm. Yes, I'm sorry, because in the quotes for IMDb, it has a uh, parentheses before the quote and says, Emmeline has lost an arm. And then it says, <laughs> <laughs> we're immortal, Buffy. And then it's That's me, so great. But yeah. Can we take a moment to talk about, I wish I wish that Cece was on this episode cause, or was here, because I feel like she'd have thoughts about this. Did you notice that... I think in every, almost every single scene she's in, 
Buffy has flowers on her clothing. Oh. And I know that, like, this is the early 90s, like, big cartoony flowers were super in, and she's not the only one that wears them, so it could have totally just been, like, a random costuming thing. But the first scene she's in, we have, she's wearing a red dress with, like, daisies on it. And then she has that sweater with, like, big psychedelic flowers on it. Her prom dress has a big flower on it. Um, there's another top with big flowers on it. She wears earrings that are big flowers. Um, again, this could be, like, completely just a weird costuming coincidence. It, but I had never noticed it. And I was like, it, this is crazy. And, of course, when she becomes the Slayer, she stops wearing all her, like, fashion stuff. And she's just wearing a lot of kind of, like, grungy flannels and jeans and she stops wearing all the flowers. Right. I mean, uh, in 1987, she was in the movie Flowers in the Attic. I mean, I think we're all... Uh... Holy shit, she was in Flowers in the Attic? Yeah, she played Kathy. Yeah. I don't know. I've I've heard things get crazy in that movie. I don't know anything about it. but Or that uh, book. I think there's sibling incest is what I know about oh, it. Oh, my. Well, well. So these... it's right on brand for this podcast. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I wish you were joking, but no, it is. Uh, you heard it here first. Next week, no, no. milkshake and mimosas will be reviewing <laughs> Chrissy Swanson in Flowers. In yes, it will be me reading Flowers in the Attic, an audiobook, and having loud reactions and be like, "Whoa, oh, oh my god. god!" Oh god! Everyone wants that, and no one wants Nobody that. Nobody wants. Only Cece wants that. Um, here's a question I have for you. Okay. Do you know how many? Can you guess how many Buffy porn parodies there are? One. Like films? Uh, yes. There's got to be at least a hundred. Okay, sorry. Like uh, it, on I like ones that like oh, were big. On they were okay. big enough okay. to like properly get accredited. 15 three okay <laughs> okay what are they called okay <laughs> muffy the vampire layer mm-hmm, okay. sure checks out buffy the vampire layer no pun and buffy's name but okay okay and it feels like all infringement to both the show and the previous porn yeah exactly can you imagine the porn parodies are like suing each other like you stole how dare you that was our joke how dare you take the word of muffy into this movie uh and then buffy the vampire slayer xxx a parody from 2012 that's when they stopped trying in 2012 you'll notice everything is uh, xxx a porn parody that's when seo became a thing and they needed search or engine optimization for Pornhub or whatever so but also that one is a porn parody which makes me kind of want to watch it so listen to this like not enough to actually watch it but i'm intrigued listen to the plot willow's erotic dream spell concocted for buffy spills over onto giles and xander so some erotic stuff happens and uh hilariously the writers okay the writer in this movie is josh weldon and it's like just it looks so much like joss whedon that has to be on purpose like that has to be fake it has to be because the only thing that he's ever he's credited with is is this, is this and a behind the scenes wait they made a behind the scenes for the porn parody damn that must have some production value well coming next week on milkshakes and Mimo- no. 
<laughs> well, no, next week is Flowers in the Attic, the week after that can be the Buffy porn parody. Is it um, possible okay, so to here's... have negative listeners? Because that's what will happen. <laughs> that's what's happening. Here's what I want to talk about. Uh, something that uh, is added to the mythology, or was in the mythology in the movie that's not in the show, that I have a lot of thoughts about, is that slayers get fucking cramps when vampires are nearby apparently yeah that's interesting um i guess i mean interesting is a word we can use. well like i guess it's supposed to obviously like i can't think of anything else that would be talking about other than making like menstrual cycle references right like a period and stuff like that was that not somehow because you get cramps when you're on your period right so like is that not you some do. weird uh joss whedon trying to i don't know trying to be progressive but not really knowing how as ala joss i don't know i mean just like the idea that buffy would so have to suck man so i was gonna say yeah i'm gonna speak as the woman on this episode and say that like cramps are the fucking worst and um if men had to go through the level of pain that women live with just on a regular monthly basis and continue to function like society would shut the would just shut the fuck down so the idea that Buffy has extra cramps that's and that's her gift is like, I had forgotten that completely and I was watching this movie last night and the first time he's like, they're at the graveyard or whatever and he's asking her if she has cramps and then I was like, oh, I forgot about this. I literally was like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I love how mad you are. I mean, There are so many other things that she could have as like a way to sense vampires like the show just sort of is like she has heightened abilities in general so like she is really good at tracking and she can track vampires which is a much better way to handle it than being like you know that thing that's one of the worst parts of being a woman well it happens to you extra because you are the slayer and you're gonna die really young and you're gonna have more cramps than a normal woman would have in her entire life in your shortened life I wonder if they deal with the complex ramifications of that in Muffy the Vampire Lair. I'm sure they do. <laughs> she probably has a lot of uterus pain. Oh, no. I hope not. I also don't understand biologically what's happening. Like, because when you're having cramps, it's because your uterus is shedding all of the tissue and then contracting to push it out. Right. Like, that's obviously not happening to her every day. So I would she's just not. having cramps for fun. Like, or is she always on her period? And that, like, attracts the vampires? I don't really understand. I, I found that very upsetting. I really hope it's not the second part, because that's upsetting. Like, oh, oh, geez. Like, I, oh, my. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that would be a bad plot device. But, you know, okay. I mean, also something that, that Buffy never addresses, because it does seem like if vampires can smell blood. That's true. I mean, it's true. Saying. I don't know. I, I do not know how vampires... I don't know if there's ever been... A piece of vampire mythology. Does Buffy the television show ever deal with like vampires and periods? No. no. And Buffy does not get extra crampy when vampires are no, around. That's good. But she does get extra cranky because vampires be cramping her style. Wait, I didn't mean to put in cramps again. Anyways, that didn't work. Anyway, she gets extra quippy when vampires are that's around. True. That is that's for true. damn sure. I do miss the quips. Like be, like you said, this is not written in the same sort of quick There's, quippy fashion think... that we associate. It, it has some of it, but it's not the, at the same, like, 
pace that I think this is definitely like early in Joss Whedon kind of like For getting sure. into his style, right? Because yeah. like this is even before things like Titan AE and he wrote this even before Alien Resurrection, which Right. This is very early. Yeah, which is which is um, very early in his writingography and he would specialize in like super quippy dialogues like even yeah. if you watch um alien resurrection which i just said which is about five years later like right before the start of buffy uh yeah. that that movie has like a lot of quippy dialogue it is quips galore it is quips galore and that is very weird for a alien movie so it makes yeah. that movie very i original. also feel like i mean i don't know if it says this on imdb maybe i'm making this up i feel like i heard or I feel like my my understanding was that like this definitely probably went through some like weird rewrites and stuff that Joss Whedon didn't do. Like there are oh, there are all, parts of this where the, the credit is he the only one credited? Yeah, so maybe I made that up. Writer, so I don't I don't know, but well, like that could be true. Like I don't know because there are just parts of it that feel. Um, again, it could just be that he was uh, still starting out and whatever. There are definitely parts of this that feel. Oh, more it, like commercially accessible than what he does sometimes. It does say that he was so frustrated by how his vision was being mishandled and how much of it was being rewritten that he eventually left the set during production and never came back. Okay, that's what I thought. I, I thought I had heard something like that. So that might be why. I just <gasps> feel like one of my fa one of my favorite things about Buffy, the show, is like how quippy and quick-witted she is when she's talking to vampires. I love it. Um and I miss Christy Swanson has some of that, but I feel like a lot of hers is like on par with the kind of stuff that Cher says. Right, right. So it's not always like the most uh, awesome and empowering feeling if you're a woman. That's fair. She is kind of she's kind of written as like a ditzy character. Yeah, but, which like I listen, I still love this Buffy. It's just she. This is not my primary Buffy. Right, right. And I would I uh, I would say in in terms of at least bringing it up is that the men are also written like they're fucking dorks. Oh, for <laughs> sure, they're they are terrible. <laughs> they're such fucking dorks. Uh, I think it of Pike and his friend uh, are just like the biggest dopes in like history his friend david arquette who you didn't mention when you were running through everyone that's in this movie i'm sorry david arquette i do love you um and i do like him in this role like it's a very weird role um it's funny because they do the uh they do the salem's lot scene like there's that very famous scene in salem's lots where there's like a kid outside of window that's like scratching and being like let me in let me in and that also happens in uh, Lost Boys, right? Because I think there's a scene in Lost Boys yep. where there's a floaty boy. and Michael is trying to get his brother to let him in the house. Michael. You're eating maggots, David Arquette. Oh, that's <laughs> intentional. <laughs> oh, I have never done that. I'm intentionally eating maggots. Uh, <laughs> yeah, tasty. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he, he does that scene. David Arquette does that scene. And I think... That might have been the first, like, this might have been the first version of that scene I saw. Like, I I don't even think. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because it's. I've actually never seen Salem's Lot, so that's, I oh. probably saw, I saw Lost Boys before this. Salem's but. Lot's very good. It's from 1979. It's Toby Hooper, uh, who did, like, um, you know, Texas. Texas Chainsaw. Good old Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's like a mini series, so it's, like, for TV, so it's not, like, extra gory. It's more of, like, a slow build, like, methodical, creepy movie. Like, I'm into that. Yeah, I, I'm into it. I'm into it. 
Uh, but yeah, so I was, uh, it, this scene is already, the scene with him, like, at the window has always been, like, very iconic in my brain and just kind of, like, stuck there. It's, like, one of those scenes where <laughs> if you mention this movie, I immediately think of it. Because, uh, it's a creepy image. It's a creepy idea to just think your floaty friend is gonna be there, like, I'm the creepy floaty friend. And you're like, get out of here, floaty friend. I was gonna say, yeah, the thing that sticks with me about that scene is Luke Perry, like, waking up super drunk and fuck hungover and, like, it takes him a second and then he's like he realizes that he's on the second story and like why is his friend there and his friend's like i'm hungry and he's like you're floating <laughs> like yeah that's true I, I i guess that's like uh there's a little bit of that in the lost boys scene but like uh mm-hmm. i like when characters are incredulous about vampire abilities yeah um but he's like incredulous but he never questions it he then is like i'm leaving town because they're vampires which is I love that he just, like, jumps to that, right? Like, when he sees Buffy, he's like, so there are vampires, right? Like, I'm leaving town because there are vampires. It's very true. I like that as well, because, like, it, it just immediately makes it, like, so... Uh, there's no point where characters are like, I don't believe you. Like, there's, like, a brief scene where Buffy is like, I don't believe you, like, old creepy old man. And then he throws a knife right. and she catches it, and then it's like, from then on, it's like, all right, cool. Like, right. vampires are real. Everyone comes across a vampire, they're not, oh my god, a vampire, what? Yeah. And, like, even when, like, um, they, vampires, like, start attacking the school dance at the end, there's never any doubt that they're vampires, right? Like, it's Right, like, everyone's kind of immediately, like, we are in danger, yeah, these are vampires. Are danger. Although, Hilary Swank goes ahead and invites them to the dance anyway, because they are seniors. seniors. They're seniors, you gotta do it. And, like, I like the fact that it wasn't, like, oh... I didn't know they were vampires. It's like, no, like, I knew they were vampires, but, like, they're seniors, so, like, you gotta yeah. let them in. <laughs> One of the things that is, like, a running, uh, like, I don't, shouldn't say it's a running joke, because Buffy handles it. Buffy doesn't make a joke about it, but um, the podcast that I love and plug all the time, Buffering the Vampire Slayer, kind of has this ongoing joke, because in the TV show, the reason that Buffy has gone to, that Buffy is in Sunnydale now, and Giles shows up to be her watcher, is that Sunnydale sits on a hellmouth. So all kinds of vampires and demons, et cetera, are drawn to it. And the level of activity there is higher than everywhere else. But if you if you watch Buffy, Buffy had seven seasons. And almost every week you had a new vampire or monster or demon doing weird shit and fucking stuff up and killing people. And it for so long, I mean for the entire run of the show, people are like, don't people are confronted with otherworldly stuff and they're like, this can't be real. <laughs> so it's, it's funny to watch the movie where everyone like the idea in this movie is sort of that Lothos came here and now there are vampires. It's not like this has been an ongoing thing, but immediately everyone's like, Oh yeah, there's vampires and we know how to handle it. And it's really funny in contrast to the show where, I mean, they, they had to keep it the way it was right. Where people had to keep not being aware of it. Otherwise Buffy's, role would sort of not have the same weight that it does right but right. It's, but it's funny to watch after seven seasons people continue to be like shocked that evil stuff is happening yeah that's very true and like i, I do like the idea like in this show it's like they're drawn the vampires are after her right like it's like right. uh again like it just kind of speeds everything up like there's no like oh yes you are at the pinnacle of supernatural right, chicanery. Right. come here and hang out but like it's just immediately like bam they're after you get some stabby in stop these goddamn vampires bam 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 and like it just gets going right away now uh i did find something that may 
they make me have to unfortunately knock this movie down a few pegs and well oh. elevated in your opinion um apparently seth green was in this movie wait when he's in th he's in this movie for three seconds two of them he is seen from behind he is a oh. short red-haired vampire that gets kicked by buffy outside the gym when a group of vampires, including him, are taunting her. You can recognize him by his haircut alone. Is what the, is what the trivia is. I'm definitely going to go back to my rental before it expires tonight and watch that. Um, yes, that's hilarious. That's delightful. I wonder if he brought that. I'm sure he brought that up when he was auditioning for the show. Um, I was wondering, did you notice the Twin Peaks cameo? Yeah, okay. That... Uncredited? Oh, okay, that is uncredited. That is Leo from Twin Peaks, right? Who's like one of the For motorcycle sure. guys. Like, there's no uh, way it's not. I was looking at yeah. it and I was like, that is like Leo from Twin Peaks, right? Like, what? what's happening here? Yeah. Uh, oh, God, what is that actor's name? I, I'm going to find it. Eric DeRay, I think. I looked this up last night because I was like, that's definitely the guy from Twin Peaks, right? I'm just uh, I'm just impressed because uh, that's a very odd. I mean, again, it, it's like this could this movie could almost fit in the Twin Peaks universe. Like he, he Leo is just on the road. That could have just been Leo. That could have yeah. just been Leo. He got his bike stolen and then he got mad and took it. Although over. this is post Twin Peaks, right? So Leo was like a vegetable, and then. Hey, look! This movie is never specifically stated to be in 1992, so. I guess that's true. So. I mean, come on. And also, this is Twin Peaks. Like, anything could happen in Twin Peaks. That's also very true. I don't know what it says about me, but that cameo might have been my favorite cameo. I was really hoping that um, something bad would happen to Ben Affleck. Like, I was hoping Ben Affleck would get, like, bitten by a zombie or he'd get, like, suplexed by a werewolf or just eaten by a vampire. Like, I was hoping something bad would happen, but, you know. Also, I think we have to clarify that, like, this movie came out in 1992, so this is, like, baby Ben Affleck oh. before he was in things. Yeah, it's, it's baby, like, baby, baby Fleck. I almost didn't recognize him, and then I was like, holy shit. Um, but he gets spooked by a vampire playing basketball. He'll be a basketball. So this this does go into the realm of uh, very well-trodden territory, which is some type of mythological being playing a sport, whether mm -hmm. it be that dog from Airbud, or it'd be. Are you insisting that Airbud is a mythological being? Oh, uh, let's let's not kid ourselves. Airbud is a canonical angel. We all know it. We all know <laughs> that the real stories of Airbud is like an angel who came down from heaven because he wanted to be the best boy and uh, helped humans out. That's true. That movie is the only movie that has ever, to my knowledge, made my older stepbrother cry. What? Wait. The only thing? That's it? Mm. Oh, my. I mean, no, I have, we have not lived together in years because we're adults now. But, at, like, that's sort of, like, in my family, that's, like, the lore of Airbud is that my it made my stepbrother very emotional. I mean, it's a magical thought. I mean, rightly so. I mean, when he leaves on the ferry and he makes Airbud stay. Ugh. We're just going to start Definitely. crying on this podcast. I know. Um, All right, move on. Something but, else. But also Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf has a werewolf play basketball. Have you seen the original Teen Wolf starring Michael J. I, Fox? I haven't. Oh, see, 
Um, but they play basketball. Uh, yeah, the, he becomes a werewolf, and as a werewolf, he becomes super dope at basketball. And he just plays basketball as a werewolf, and everyone's sure. just like, "Yeah, no, this is fine. Like, it's a big game. Whatever." I mean, also not to really uh, out myself as a giant nerd, because um, this is no longer a thing that I enjoy. But um, the vampires in Twilight do play baseball. Oh, that's true. Those vampire Twilight vampires do play a mean game of baseball. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me tell you. And it makes, you, like, thunder noises it, because it they're does. so strong. And, and there's all that thing of, like, everyone thinks it's thundering outside, but it's no. It's just me, Bella. Me and my family playing baseball. Me and my sparkle dick playing baseball. <laughs> I hit it with my sparkly dick. That's what I do. That's what it's for. <laughs> oh, oh, Twilight. Uh, we will find a reason to cover that entire franchise one of these days. Um, oh, God. Uh, I have read all the books. Have you read all the books? I read all the books when they came out. Mm-hmm. Such Actually such that I think, I don't know if it was the first into the second or the second into the third, but I was um, in New Orleans volunteering, doing rebuild work, reading one of the Twilight books, and I read it in like a day and a half and finished it, and I was like, I need to read the next one. So one of the other, I was in high school, one of the other adult volunteers drove me like 30 minutes to a Borders bookstore to buy the next Twilight book because I was like, I can't wait until I get home. I have to read it now. Also, my very dear and lovely fl- friend Lauren, who you met in Florida, who is my was my little when I was briefly in a sorority in college, um, we bonded over the Twilight movies. So... I am no longer a fan of those movies, but they were very uh, transformative for me in some parts of my life. Yeah, no, that's uh, you know that's fair. I mean, I think we all we all read Twilight for different reasons back in the day. Um, yeah, I mean, we all wished we had sparkle dicks, and yeah, you know, you know, some of, some of us do exactly, exactly. Some of us were like, oh, this is this is a relationship helper. Now I can talk to the, all the people who read Twilight. Oh, no. They go, no, it's not cool. Oh, 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 oh. I thought you were going to, like, pretend to be a vampire to try to woo a potential girlfriend. What you said makes more sense. No, Mm -hmm. although I do basically now live the life of a vampire. Just uh, all of my (laughs) uh, windows are constantly drawn, and I am a a cave-dwelling monster. But... Yeah, but you're also a podcast king, and I don't know of any vampire podcasters. I mean, they could be out here, out here, uh... You have it. Slide into my DMs. <laughs> no, do not. I do, do not ask vampire podcasters to slide your DMs. You don't know what you're asking for. I mean, we've got a remake of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If you want to make one of those nerds, make one of those nerds a podcaster. Like I could see it. You got the Spookies, the Spookies yeah. podcast. Scoobies. The Scoobies, Scoobies. Scooby. All right, for the modern you era. You have loads of Spookies on the brain. <laughs> yeah, I do. We all should have laws of spookies on the brain. Definitely. We should, we should, we should. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of where else to go with this conversation. I mean, we should probably talk about Luke Perry. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, we gotta talk about Pike, man. We gotta talk about Pike. Uh, he's very, he's like, uh, a golden hearted doofus, I would say. Cause he's yeah. yeah Cause he's he's a real rebel without a cause. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I like that he's like a mechanic and he's like kind of like a low down like 
salt of the earth type guy, but like he's not a dick. Like in the first scene, he's kind of a jerk uh, to Buffy and her friends, but that's basically because they were talking during the movies, and it's yeah. Like, I mean, they started it. Yeah, exactly. They started it. They started it. Um, this is surprisingly Phil. Like this is during his nine hundred two one zero days, because um, I think nine hundred two one zero ran. Man, this dude was in a lot of TV shows. He was. Wow. It's kind of crazy. I was thinking about watching this because, like, I think by the end of the sh- the movie, obviously, you're supposed to be, like, enamored with Pike. But watching him interact with Buffy, he's just kind of like you said. He's like a doofus. And he's, uh, there's a scene where, like, that really struck me. No- I've never seen 90210, but knowing that he was on that show around the same time, there's a scene after she saves him from the vampires and she takes him back to her house and she says something to him and then she says something to the effect of, you know, um, and now here I am talking to strange men in my living room and he says, are you calling me a man? And I was just like, look, Perry, you played this like sexy heartthrob on 90210 and you're like, she thinks I'm a man? Uh, he has a very funny career because like again um in this movie he is constantly on a motorcycle uh which i think really helped him get into the character of uh a a role he would embody in two years uh yes i am talking about the tv show biker mice from mars the cartoon series which does have a voice by luke perry biker mice yeah biker mice from mars like plural of mouse. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. from Mars. Yeah, yeah. Have you never heard like, on motorcycles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Biker mice from okay. Mars. It, like the theme song is. Stop acting like that's normal. <laughs> the theme song is like biker <laughs> mice from Mars. <laughs> biker mice from Mars. <laughs> and there's like some weird music, but like I all I remember from the lyrics is just like some weird robot voice that is like <laughs> biker mice from Mars, and it's like a. Wait, that's a real. This is the real theme song to the cartoon that you're doing right now. Yeah, I mean, like not well, but I'm doing it. Like I all I remember is some weird like interstitial weird music, and then biker mice from Mars, uh, and that was the that was the entire thing. Now this podcast is just gonna be like every ten minutes. I'm just gonna be like biker mice from Mars. That's gonna be our new. Do you have okay. the rights to that? I feel like you're gonna get. Probably not, but like, how are they gonna tell? They can't tell me I'm singing it. Uh, but he plays, yeah, he plays Napoleon Brie on that show. Sure. Oh, named after cheese, that yep, makes sense. Named after cheese, I believe he's the villain. I would, he would have to be, right? Because like, Napoleon isn't a hero, yeah, in some cases. I don't know, but I don't know. He, and sure is. he also, like, again, during the same era, he did so many cartoon shows, he played Sub Zero in the Mortal Kombat cartoon series. <laughs> Um, which is a terrible cartoon series, and I'm so glad we have an excuse to talk about it. He played um, a Incredible Hulk character, Rick Jones. Like he was in a whole bunch of stuff while also being a sexy heartthrob on 90210. So like, and also being shocked that Christy Swanson would call him a man. Yeah, he's so layered, and every he's story so down to earth. He is kind of down to earth, and every story you hear about Luke Perry, like especially like from the set of Riverdale, like. Apparently he was just so nice to uh, to everyone on set. Like he was just like a, yeah. a good dude. Like you don't really hear anything bad about uh, Luke Perry. So here's to you, Luke Perry. You'll always be the Pike in our heart. Forever in our hearts. Forever and ever in 
diehard. Yeah, I just have to say that like and I was on the 2011 so TV show Pound Puppies playing the character of Pang. Fang. Oh. Sorry, continue. Pang. Um, I was just so enamored with with his character in this movie. Like I said earlier, I remember watching this movie and just being like completely in love with Pike. Um, and it was hilarious watching it now because as I think we should discuss, he has a soul patch. Oh, he does have a soul which, patch. Which I don't love. And not only does he have a soul patch, but it's pointed. It's not like a square. It's a triangle that's pointed at his chin. And I don't like it. But um, when he decides to go to the dance with Buffy, he shaves it off, which was a very good move. That's the Pike I remember is Pike showing up at the dance. But we should talk about the idea that so this, like this movie came out when you said 92. Yep. So this movie came out in 1992. Buffy's uh, allowed to have two love interests in this movie. Um, the first one is her boyfriend, who's a basketball player, and he's a doof, and he's an asshole, and we don't like him. Um, I sort of love it. I think it because the movie is such a condensed time frame, it, I could see this not working for people, but it does work for me, especially because of how much I love the show Buffy, and I have that context, but... Obviously, seeing all the things she sees, Buffy sort of goes through this emotional transition where the things that were important to her, like fashion and popularity and her boyfriend, become a lot... They get put in perspective for her, right? right? Because she is seeing all of this darkness and stuff that's very overwhelming, and she has this huge responsibility now, which obviously makes sense. Um, so as she and Pike start bonding and having a relationship, it's because he's also seen this thing that she's seen. And I think that... Um, there's this really great exchange that, like, I hope I'm not overhyping because I did think it was really wonderful, where um, she decides, so Merrick has sacrificed himself for her, um, and she, when she's confronted with Lothos, was completely powerless against him and could not defend herself or Merrick. Um, and so she basically decides, like, fuck it, this is too much responsibility, I can't do it, I'm just going to go to the dance, I'm going to basically... Like, go back to my old life. I don't want to have all this responsibility. And she and Pike get in a fight about it because he wants to kill the vampires that killed his friend. And he, you know, he wants her to be... He had an idea of who she was, right? And he wants her to be that. And he is unwilling to accept that she is still human and doesn't want to always be the slayer and carry all this responsibility. Right. And so... I love that the way that that conflict gets resolved is by him sort of deciding that she is important to, enough to him that he wants to support her and be, cause I think like, I think the, the whole scene, I think it sort of gets like played over, like it's not the big a deal or maybe it could feel that way. But I think especially when this movie came out, the idea that the way that conflict resolves is like, he goes home, he ceremoniously shaves his soul patch he, like, gets dressed up. He still wears his leather jacket, but, you know, he puts on, like, nice pants and a vest and a suit shirt, um, and he goes to the dance because that's what's important to Buffy. Right, um, right. That is that is very nice. Like, that's a very... Like, yeah. I feel like... Uh, I don't say this about many characters in movies, uh, especially men, but 
Uh, if I found out that he was dating one of my friends, I would be very happy for them. I'd be like, oh, look at this lovable doofus. Yeah. He's trying. He cares. He cares. You got this, doofus. Let's hear it for the boy. Yeah. I wouldn't even and call I love that doofus, for once but... the solution is like he will compromise or not even compromise. Like he will accept her for who she is. I feel like so often in any kind of like romantic character arc, the woman is like either trying to fix the dude or she has right. to compromise herself to be with him. And I love that in this movie, like Buffy doesn't have to compromise. So he comes to the dance and he's like, I'm just here to be at the dance with you. And then the vampires come and they fight the vampires together. And then at the end of that, he's like, I saved you a dance, Aww. you know, which is like, I know this was important to you. And so we're going to do this. And then they ride off into the sunset in his motorcycle. And it's great. Um, and just like nerdy aside, um, if you watch the show Buffy, the finale of season one is called Prophecy Girl. And um, the arc of season one is not dissimilar to the plot of this movie. There is one vampire called the Master who is this very old ancient vampire. Um, he looks a lot scarier than Rucker Hauer because he kind of looks like a weird like naked mole rat with fruit punch mouth is how they describe him on so buffering. like modern Rutger Hauer. Oh wait, is he dead? Oh crap! I think he's I think he's dead. Okay, well I mean that version of Rutger Hauer would um, be terrifying, I'm sure. But um... right, like an elderly still living Rutger Hauer is I think what you were going for. Yeah, that's what um, I was going for. Yes. But so, but so in the end of the first season, when Buffy goes to fight the to confront the master, there is a dance that night. So Buffy is wearing a white dress and a black leather jacket in the TV show when she goes to fight the master. Um, and I remember watching the movie and being like the first time and just being like, Oh shit. Um, because the dress that she wears to the senior dance in the movie is white and Pike gives her his jacket. Um, so that's a, that's a lovely little tie into the movie that, that happens nice. in the show. That is nice. I mean, I feel like that's one of those like motifs that, uh, uh, we didn't liked enough to kind of like bring over. I'm really, I, I really wonder like what his pitch was for the show. Like he was just like, these guys ruined my movie and I want to yeah. make my show. He's like, I want to do it again. I want to do it right. Do it again. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think the movie turned out well. Uh, I really enjoy all of the like little fun moments. I think it's a very breezy movie to kind of just put on to enjoy. Um, it is a female directed horror movie, which again, even nowadays people like to pretend like that doesn't exist. So like right. the fact that this was in 92, like that's not nothing, right? Like that was a, right. it was a studio movie. It has like a great cast and it was directed by a woman. So like it adds a flair that like a hell of a lot of dumb dude movies don't. So, you know, yeah, gotta give it props for that, especially in the time period, right? Like. Um, oh for sure and honestly and... if you're a fan of the so two things one if you're a fan of the show and you've never seen it you owe it to yourself to watch it because it's just fascinating to see sort of where the story started right for better or worse I, I do like i said i really like the movie for what it is um and appreciate it and think it's interesting to watch that in the context of it being kind of the first thing where right. joss whedon felt like he had less control but also even if you've never seen the tv show buffy this is just like a very fun, like you said, just like a fun, campy, silly, like if you, if you, this really is like clueless with vampires. Right. And it, the, the cast is phenomenal. It's just very 90s and it's delightful. It's really great. Right, right. 
And uh, I think that it is uh, when people talk about Buffy and the creation of Buffy, they kind of only ever talk about Joss Whedon. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Fran is just as important. Fran Rubel is just as important to the iconography of the character. Because had this movie just been a total bomb and done terribly and nobody liked the movie, uh, I can't imagine you're getting a TV show out of it. Right. right. So. Right. Uh, this definitely has its place in pop culture history and is uh, is very important. And it's also just extremely fun. Uh, and uh, there's an alternate poster. We talked about one of the posters, but my preferred poster is there's an image of, like, Buffy, like, holding, uh, like, a, a stake in her hands, like, looking all triumphant. And then you get, like, Luke Perry kind of, like, cowering behind her as, like, behind her shoulder, just be like, oh, hi. That's great. I'm here, too. And, like, you know what? I like it. I like it. I think that might be the poster that I've seen. Yeah. There's another poster that's like a sexy cheerleader legs that I don't like as much, but you know. Oh, I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah. This is interesting. Marketing. That's the that's the poster on IMDB, but Wikipedia, it's got the true true poster. Nice. <laughs> Cause the true true is something people still say. Because that's a thing. Sophie. Where can they find more of your wonderful work on this world wide web? So you can read my articles uh, that I, or my reviews that I post whenever I have time on bloody good horror. Um, we also do tweet with BGH about once a month. So if you like the idea of watching a silly fun, bad, or just fun, fun horror movie with friends, uh, we do that about once a month on the internet and you can join in, just go to bloodygoodhorror.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Phillies Femme. That's Phillies like the baseball team and Femme like a French lady. Nice, nice. And uh, if you uh, do into a mirror uh, mention the new Ghostbusters movie that's coming out three times, uh, Sophie will show up and murder you. Um, That is totally accurate. And I really don't want to do that. So just don't go see it or talk about it or think about it. Yeah, exactly. Just erase Um, it from public consciousness. Erase it from your brain. If I could make a a plug for something really wonderful um, to erase, to erase new Ghostbusters from your brain as we, as we've tried to do Um, because we mentioned Steven Tobolowsky earlier, just true gemstone of a human being. If you like Steven Tobolowsky, might I please recommend his delightful podcast i don't think they're doing new episodes anymore the tobolowski um, files but please listen to every episode of the tobolowski files and you will learn that Stephen tobolowski is one of the best storytellers of our time but also has lived the craziest life um so it's just him every episode is sort of him tell reading stories that he has written like written narratively about his life and tying them together into themes and they're just beautiful and funny and emotional and delightful um so please seek that out um whether you know him or not because it's just a really feel good wonderful piece of media that more people should know about and i will never object to that wonderful wonderful podcast to help me get through it's a lot so good. it's a great podcast um and if you liked the theme song for this episode that was written by dak schaefer and annalise nelson and you can find the rest of their work at the they're wonderful please support their work and they'll be on next week's episode so you have no excuse 
And if you would like to tweet us, please tweet us at mpodcastm on Twitter or email us at milkshakesandmimosas at gmail.com. None of you have ever done that. So if you could, that would be appreciated. Also, you know, give us a rating on that old iTunes. She's, oh, and she's looking for some love. Give it to love to some old iTunes. Uh, Thank you. And as always, blame the CW. Bye.